0: But uh, We haven't taught through every psalm. Normally when we go through a book of the Bible, we we just go through every book. We don't skip a chapter. We don't skip a verse. But many of the psalms are, are parallel to each other or they're repetitive in nature. And Psalm 14 is very much like today's psalm. And since we did not go through Psalm 14, we will go through this psalm, which is parallel in nature to that psalm. As we mentioned previously when we began this series, uh, chapters 1 through 41 are contained in the first book of Psalms and the second book of Psalms, which we call the second book, or chapters 42 through 72. An interesting contrast between the first book and the second is in this book, God is often referred to as Lord, or he was in the previous book, he was referred to as Lord or Yahweh. Uh, which refers more to his deity, the deity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But now, specifically in Psalm 53, we'll see him more often with the word Elohim for God, or God in the Hebrew word Elohim. In summary, this name God or Elohim is a simple broader term for God, rather than his covenantal God of Yahweh. And the division will be as follows. Verses one through five is the faithlessness of those who ain't. A preacher decades ago whose past preceded us in death already said, You're either an ain't or you're a saint. You either ain't saved or you are saved, you're a saint. You're either not born again or you are born again. And verses one through five is the faithfulness of faithlessness of those that ain't, that are not saved. And then of course verse six The church would fit in this category is the faithfulness of the saints. Beginning with the first three verses. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's bad news. In verse 1 again, he said, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Referring to man here as a fool is speaking of man's nature, that we're sinners by nature. And that man is foolish by nature. And when man says that there is no God, he is an even greater fool. What started out as an internet hoax back in 2003, I'm sure you're all aware of this. April 1st, obviously, is April Fool's Day. It was informally declared as National Atheist Day on the internet. And that joke or hoax has turned into something more serious, where they actually do declare that as their atheist day though there was no presidential proclamation yet there was no act of congress yet to declare it as atheist day I probably shouldn't have said that because that will probably happen the way things are going right but it is their special day thus saith them not the Lord of course the Christians we kind of joke says no it's not atheist day it is a fool's day because the Bible says he says there's no God is a fool And and nonetheless, anyone who denounces God and says there is no God is a fool. And the scripture says that they're a corrupt fool. And the scripture says that they've actually committed an abominable iniquity against him. It's an abomination to say there's no God. It's not just you're, you're lost. Just to say there is no God is an abomination against our Lord. They're doomed right there alone. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said. The atheist is, morally as well as mentally, a fool. A fool in the heart as well as in the head. A fool in morals as well as in philosophy. With the denial of God as a starting point, he may well conclude that the fool's progress is a rapid, riotous, raving, ruinous one. He who begins in impiety is ready for anything. End of quote. In last week's sermon, we it was obviously an exposition, but we applied it to how the lamestream media suppresses the truth. The lamestream media consistently lies, but now on social media, the social media giants are actually suppressing our truth because they do not like the truth. This word "corrupt" here is the Hebrew word, and it means to destroy, to go to ruin. This is the definition of an atheist to destroy, to go to ruin, to decay, to be marred, spoiled, to be rotted, perverted, to be corrupted morally, and they're even rotten to the core. So when you think of an atheist, that's what we should think of them, that they need salvation. Even an agnostic, even a person who believes in God, or a person that believes in Jesus, but that's not still saved are still rotten to the core because they have not a regenerated heart. And he said they have done an abominable iniquity. Their sin of atheism, again, is an abominable act. Just to deny God's existence is an abomination unto the Lord. This is one of the verses I'm sure that many of us have used when evangelizing. Uh, to an atheist or when engaging in one-on-one apologetics with an atheist that sir the Bible says that a fool says there is no God and they are offended by God's word when you tell them that and regarding evangelism or apologetics it's my personal conviction to not spend too much time with an atheist why would I spend an hour reasoning with an atheist who's an abomination under the Lord when there's 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 people standing over there in that crowd. I would much rather give them a gospel track. And so, you know, there, there's people that actually will schedule debates and sell tickets admission free, to see this debate between an apologist and an atheist, though that is good and there is a time and place for that. But if we're channeling all of our evangelism efforts or apologetics into that one arena, we're going to limit of what God can do through us. So here's what I submit as a church. This is at least my conviction that I will give them the law and the gospel, either verbally or in writing, and just trust in the Lord for the results. Because they're an abomination unto the Lord as it is. It even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to this, we have to remind ourselves because our reasoning and our intellect just is not that, that smart compared to the third distinct person of the Trinity the Holy Ghost these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches the Holy Spirit's the teacher not me I'm just a guy that's giving you the word of God the Holy Spirit is the true teacher comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God the atheist cannot even understand the things that we're telling him unless God allows him to understand is what the Word of God is saying. Continuing in First in, in Corinthians 2, it says, For they are foolishness to him. They are foolishness to him, nor can we know them. They can't even know God because they are spiritually discerned. One translation says they are spiritually dead. But he who is spiritual, who has the Holy Spirit, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. The Word of God says that the natural man, the unsaved man or woman, can't even understand what you're saying unless the Holy Spirit teaches and enlightens them. We should keep that in mind when we're spending our wills and mileage on evangelism. David said this, There is none that doeth good. This is an indictment on mankind, an indictment on the human race. David made his claim or indictment twice in the Psalms, and Paul said the same in the New Testament. Listen to this. Paul said in Romans chapter 3. Again, this is we've. it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. There was none righteous. No, not one. There was none who understands. There was none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There was none who does good. No, not one. Brother Robin spent a lot of time Clinging out that driveway. We love Brother Robin. He's a nice guy, isn't he? But guess what, folks? That's the goodness of God working through him. That's Christ in him. That's that's God's providence through a little John Deere tractor. Same thing with Caroline and Jeff. Shoveling snow so we can have prayer at their night. Nice people, wonderful people. But that's the goodness of God and the righteousness of Christ in them. It's because of our Lord. And then it says, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Sounds like the abortion mills. Mm. Their feet are swift to shed blood. To scrub Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why these people need the good news. That's why we got to share the bad news with them first. In verse 2, he said, God looked down. You know, you've heard the world say this. God looked down upon you, and when He sees you, He just sees a wonderful person. Well, that's only true if they're saved. If they're saved, he sees the goodness of God and the righteousness of Christ in them. If, he does, if they're not his elect, he does not see that goodness in them. He just sees sinners. Verse 2, he said, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. There are many accounts in the Scriptures where God searched for good men and good women. I like the armor's motto, the army's motto. They're looking for a few good men. But on a popular account here is in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Hasn't changed much, has it? So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Though God does not need to look for good men or good women because he is omniscient, the omniscience omniscience of God, he knows everything. He does not need to look, but the scripture does say that he has. As one author said this, he did so in ages past, and he has continued his steadfast gaze from his all-surveying observatory to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Had there been one understanding man, one true lover of his God, the divine eye would have discovered him. Those pure heathens and admirable savages that men talk so much of do not appear to have been visible to the eye of omniscience, the fact being that they live nowhere but in the realm of fiction. The Lord did not look for great grace, but also for sincerity and right desire. But these he found. Not Not only did they not seek God, it gets worse in the next verse. Verse 3. Every one of them has gone back. They didn't just not seek God, they've gone back. They have altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not only is the entire human race bad, they've all gone back, it says. In the 14th Psalm, it said they turned aside, but now they've gone back. The downward spiral, if you will. This going back in the Hebrew, the word sug means to flinch. You hear me pray all the time, Lord, let us not flinch in the face of adversity. It means to flinch, to retreat, to apostatize, to backslide, or to be repulsed. Sug. In other words, they are repulsive. He said they are altogether become filthy, that they are morally corrupt. Is what this means in the Hebrew morally corrupt if you don't have it I would recommend getting a, a commentary on the Psalms by William Plummer just a great commentary on the Psalms and in 1867 he said this about this verse evil men are not only guilty of sins of commission having done abominable iniquity but they are guilty of many sins of omission in fact they have never done one holy act They may be moral, decent, amiable. They may belong to the church, but there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Close quote. But church, the good news, the gospel, is that every one of God's elect have the goodness of God and the righteousness of Christ upon them. But in ourselves, we are not good. And that's why we need Christ. That's why we need the imputation of Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Christ on that cross. When He declared us sinners righteous before the Father. When He pays our sin debt, that legal judicial transaction. When Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and our sins are imputed to Him. That is the reason why we will be able to stand before the Father on judgment day and say, Lord, wretched sinner I am. But it's Christ. It's Christ. It's Him that allows me to stand before you on Judgment Day. It's Him that makes me good enough to go to heaven because I am not good enough, but Christ is. And then the Father will be pleased with us because He is pleased with His Son. David said this man is altogether filthy. And I think of the verse that God is altogether lovely. God is altogether lovely. And by the way, the baby's fine. You, you don't know how great it sounds. And you don't know how beautiful it is to see a woman with a baby in one hand and a hymnal in the other. We haven't seen that in a long time, have we, folks? So, so it's okay. Amen. Thank you. you bet. You bet. Next we're going to do uh, verses 4 through 6. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, There was no, where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him that encamp, encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Verse 4 says, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge eat up my people as they eat bread they have not called upon God these sinful people have no knowledge of the truth they are blinded by the lie just like the media we talked about in the sermon last week they they tell lies and they suppress our truth in their own unrighteousness just as all unregenerate people do as all non-safe sinners and reprobates do biblical knowledge is important. Biblical knowledge is a response to our monergistic salvation. Believing, knowing, and responding to the gospel was at the heart of our salvation, God willing. And we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not lordship salvation. How could we not worship the lordship of the one whom saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So knowledge is very important. It's a commandment to grow in His knowledge. It's also important for our sanctification, Holy Spirit willing. Here's what one scholar said. We all have a family member or a loved one or a friend that professes to be a Christian, but they don't tend to their sanctification. Sanctification comes from the Lord, but we have work to do here. They don't study in the Word of God. They don't labor in prayer. They're not interested in doctrine or theology. Herman who? Hermeneutics. Who's Herman? <laughs> they don't like these things. I have a, loved one, dear, a dear loved one family member that can care less to read commentaries or theology or study God's Word. It breaks my heart. And I do doubt their salvation if they have no desire to have more knowledge of God. One scholar said this, You have had time for everything else. Everything you believed was important. If you have not exerted yourself to know God and to love and serve Him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will be revealed as the greatest of all fools on that day that you must give an accounting. And you will know that you were a fool, whether you will acknowledge it openly or not. My goodness. It almost reminds me of Matthew seven, twenty-one through twenty-three, where Jesus said, Many will stand up to stand in front of me on that day. And declare to me, Lord, I've done all of these things in your name. I prophesied in your name. I've even done miracles in your name. But Jesus will say, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice iniquity or sin, because I never knew you. Knowledge is important. What's more important that we know Him, what's really ultimately important is that He knows us. Because we don't ever want to hear those words, depart from Me, for I never knew you. And let me tell you folks, Christ knows God's elects. He knows us better than any of us know us. This world as we know devours the truth, and this world as we know devour Christians if they had a chance. But they will not do so with impunity. Next, I will compare the wrongful discrimination of coronavirus carriers to the protection of HIV virus carriers. Verse 5. Again, explanation, application. How can we apply this to us today? And I was pleased to see that James Montgomery Voice had the same thoughts that I had when I was studying this sermon. Verse 5. There were they in great fear, where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. God is just, righteous, and holy, and he always punishes sin and sinners whom practice sin. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Paul said in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the payment that we'll receive for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Though what I'm about to say is very politically incorrect, but it is biblically correct. It's a shame that so many people today that have been infected with this coronavirus are treated like the wicked evildoers seen in this chapter. Even professing Christians are treating other Christians like lepers. Wear a mask, stay away from me, get away from me, I don't want to talk to anyone. They're isolating themselves and they tell you to be isolated from them. Many dying elderly people that we see on the news and that we read about are treated like the plague and they're having to die alone. Couples that have been married 60 plus years in America and all over the world. They're not even able to hold their own spouse's hand in their last hours of breath, and they die alone. Even the non infected people like us have been unlawfully quarantined in order to stay at home. Sadly, the media and the government are treating COVID 19 carriers as if they were terrible people. The government illegally shut down non infected people's businesses, destroying lives and our economy. Though viruses are a form of God's judgment, and though God does decree these things, it still angers me with the way the government and the media treats people as well as the church. But sometimes God judges a particular people and a particular land because of their particular sins. There's no evidence that the coronavirus is a virus targeting a specific people for a specific sin. But on the contrary, There is a particular people group that commits specific sins that are in fact the cause of spreading a deadly virus. But they are wrongfully treated like good people. Isn't this sad? It's clear that the AIDS virus does target a specific people committing a specific sin, that being primarily homosexuals, but also other sexually immoral people and IV drug users. Oh sure, it's Possible for innocent person, an innocent person to, to be infected with HIV through trans, blood transfusions, but that's only a one in a million chance. But homosexuals and IV drug users are wrongfully treated with more dignity and respect and political protection than people carrying the coronavirus. Homosexuals have then become a politically correct people. I remember working as a policeman in a homosexual community, LAPD's Northeast Division. There was a law that prevented us from ever revealing that a person was HIV positive. Even if they were shot, stabbed, or bleeding out from a car accident, we could not tell paramedics or anybody that they were HIV positive. And so we broke the law. We had a code. When the first responders, the police, the paramedics, or we were taking them into the emergency room of the hospital, we warned them, double glove. And double-glove meant that person has HIV or AIDS. To be careful, because we don't want the innocent people infected with their virus. God despises the filthiness of sin and those who practice them. And here's what James Montgomery Boyce said about this. And I thought of the viruses and the coronavirus and AIDS, and I thought, man, am I too far off? And I'm glad I pulled Boyce's commentary right off the shelf and that's exactly what he said but at a different timeline listen to this of what he said at verse 5 when magic johnson the handsome professional basketball personality revealed that he had aids acquired immune deficiency syndrome the first immediate reaction of the sports writers and pundits was jubilation that at last we had an attractive way to look at the killer disease One newspaper I read actually spoke of the smiling face of age because Magic Johnson is so often seen smiling. Another paper said that we now know that age is not a danger only for some groups of all people, but that anyone can get it. But that is not true. Age is not acquired by those who obey the moral law of God. Except in a few tragic, tragic cases involving the transfusion of contaminated blood, so far as the smiling face of AIDS is concerned, anyone can smile at the beginning, but at the end that is terrible. And there are a few deaths that are as horrible as those of AIDS sufferers. End of quote. Today we've all seen them, big pharma, these HIV medicine commercials. Portraying two homosexuals on a couch or walking in a park holding their hands as they're trying to tell them that if you take these medicines it will prolong your life just so that you can be prolonged in your life and prolonged in your sin and continue in your sin and it will allow you to live longer. How wicked is that? But God commands all men everywhere to repent not to repeat. And that if they do not repent the Bible says that they will perish in their sins but they will be under the wrath of a holy God. Again, that's where we have to give the good news to these people as a church so that they may be under the love of God and the grace of God by the salvation of God in Christ so that they may know the truth. On a positive note, for God's elect, for the born-again church, for those whom are saved now or those whom are being saved in the future, the last verse reveals our hope in Christ. Here's some good news, folks. Verse 6 is the faithfulness of the saints. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. The, Lord, the Lord's church, the descendants of Jacob, will be saved and redeemed by the Savior who comes out of Zion. And we will rejoice and be glad. And that Savior is Jesus. Even for us that are surely saved, sometimes we can live our lives as if we weren't. Sometimes we can live our lives as if we are faithless. But if that is anybody here, including myself, I urge you to repent from your folly. And be wise. And be faithful. And be confessing to Christ. And be repented to the Lord and continually repent towards God, and continually repent and thrust ourselves upon Christ in faith and trusting in Him. As Matthew Henry said, There will come a Savior, a great salvation, a salvation from sin. Oh, that it might be hastened, for it will bring in glorious and joyful times. There were those in the Old Testament times that looked and hoped, that prayed and waited for this redemption. First, God will in due time save his church from the sinful malice of its enemies, which will bring joy to Jacob and Israel that have long been in a mourningful melancholy state. Such salvations were often wrought and all typical of the everlasting triumphs of the glorious church. Secondly, he will save all believers from their own iniquities that they may not be led captive by them which will be everlasting matter of joy to them. From this work, the Redeemer Christ had His name, Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. Oh, Father, thank You for saving a wretch like me. Thank You for saving Your church, Your body of Christ, from God's judgment, from God's wrath. Thank you, Christ, through your vicarious, effectual atonement, (coughs) through your death, your burial and resurrection, Christ God Almighty, that we can be saved and reconciled to the Father. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. In the name of Jesus, Amen.